0: Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three, cut down. Wonderful try.
1: We have a mole, Jim.
0: Diggs like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defence. Just watch this. Splendid, beautifully. In go the Irish for us. This is Lannahan, bursting in. Back to Bradley Back to Cannon The drop of goal Is over Michael Cannon has done it Good evening Welcome
1: Good evening. to the Molecast Good evening Good evening Seven wins Out of 16 pool games For the Irish teams In Europe It was pretty hard to get knocked out of this tournament But <laughs> My god <laughs> My god our lads tried <laughs> Uh, And uh, I think the conversation starts tonight with Ulster. Ulster Rugby.
2: Ulster Rugby, whose last performance against Harlequins might have... I don't think it was worse than their loss in their opener last season against Sale because that was a home and a bigger scoreline. But Jesus, their performance against Harlequins was absolutely atrocious. Um, It was one of the worst performances uh, European level, I can recall seeing from uh, from an Irish team in the last 10 years. It's terrible. Just an enormous lack of... Uh, f- an enormous, eno- st- staggering defensive lapses. Uh, an inability to effectively punch back and just... So much blame to go around, so many people, and that's what podcasts are for. (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't get over the. I was looking forward to the game, and I couldn't get over how careless and what a lack of concentration, what a lack of basic rugby lessons, uh, like this. You know, keep your eye on the ball, play to the whistle. The first try was incredibly embarrassing, and they were frustrated and, and gesturing at the referee as though Harlequins had. That wasn't even contentious. Harlequins had, had just taken advantage of Ulster being. Re, not just, it's not unprofessional. It's just so, such a sort of, such a sin against your under eights and under nines coach not to not to play to the whistle, not to follow the ball, not to be alert. And that was, it got off on such a, a wrong foot. But also from then on, you had this, when Marcus Smith for Louis Liner's first try, there was this case of, there's a freeze frame when Marcus Smith takes his, his free kick to himself that there's eight or nine Ulster players not even looking at the ball. Some of them are facing the touchline. So they're like 270 degrees away from him. Uh, a number of the Harlequin strikes were not caused by really Harlequin's players beating anyone they were just running into space where Ulster players weren't so there's this huge there's a huge sort of um clash of like they're clearly not coached to defend like that because you would never coach a team to defend like that. <laughs> So you you have to blame the players, but then there's also the point of like ultimately the coach is responsible for getting them to play. So like there's enough blame to go around to the coach as well. Like as I'm saying, there's enough blame to go around to everybody. But blame is one thing, and solutions are another thing. So it's not that we have the solutions, but what um are we finished with blaming people yet, or can we do some more?
1: Well. <clears throat> i'm not an expert on ulster rugby but the fact that uh dan mcfarland like sort of aired his own dirty laundry earlier in the season where he's like oh the training sessions aren't good it's like i don't understand how how the coach can say that he's like my own work isn't good and is sort of using it as a, as as almost like as a, as a Motivational to It just sounded It was such a bad line to say to someone. I don't understand. He, like, if you ask me, looking at it from a distance, I'd be like, the whole team are waiting for him to go. That's what it looks like.
2: It does look like. It. I. T- I tell. T- this is a funny story. Maybe I've mentioned in the podcast before, but when Eddie O'Sullivan was coaching Birrits, I went there to see a training session at one stage, and they were trained on the back pitch, of the Aguilar Andrew. Yeah. With the old stand, and it was. Like, Dago is always a really boggy pitch, but you can imagine how bad their training pitch was. It was a mud bath. But um, uh, Eddie ran one of, like, I've seen a good few training sessions. I've been in a few training sessions, good few training sessions. This was one of the worst run training sessions. Like, certainly the worst Run a high level training session, but like when I say high level, I'm including like senior cup teams. It was a fucking dreadful session. And I thought at the end of this, like, like Eddie's going to get sacked. I remember saying today, like, that was a terrible session. And like Benoit all was running the forwards, everything was done at walking pace, everything was a drop ball. They couldn't go through two phases without dropping the ball. And then they'd start again and they'd just walk to the next thing. It was done at about one mile an hour. So I can understand how professional teams train badly because I've seen it with my own eyes. And it it's a r like if if like if an AIL team trained that badly you think that team's getting relegated. Uh so it happens but I at the same time Eddie didn't go on <laughs> Meat all and I keep going, <laughs> yeah. That's really, are fucking, they're not really putting in the hard yards of training. Like, my 19 Fijians that I had in the team at the time was just walking around and eating loads of croissants. Like, about, about nine lads were just eating croissants on the side of the pitch. They weren't injured, they were just like faffing around. They might have been out there for two and a half hours. It was a disaster of a training session. So, um, they can happen. Yeah, and this didn't look like this was unusually bad. This is an anomaly. It was, an like anomaly. Fairly, it was this just, just how they trained. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We went to see Leinster train last year and they trained in, in Turner College with a bunch of the Turner College first players. And they sort of had these uh, limited space games with three teams. Uh, you'd be attacked, then you'd be defensed, then you'd be off. Mm. Everyone swapping in in different groups. And they started off slow, got faster. And the whole thing, like, I'd never seen I hadn't seen a professional rugby team train before. The whole thing made sense. And then they did at the end they did forwards drills. Now the other team I've seen train was uh Toulouse, also down in Ternier College, stretching their legs <laughs> and basically a load of forwards trying to take drop goals from the try-line and hit you know hit hit the narrowest angle on the on the posts, and then uh, DuPont signing autographs for children. And then they got absolutely fucking smoked by Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> so I like it seems like it matters, and like a oh, oh, uh, Munster made a big thing about speeding up their training and opening it up and doing it. I think what sounded quite similar to um, what Leinster were doing. Um, so I, I, that's why I thought the MacFarlands sort of, you know, self-annihilation of being like all oh, well, our training hasn't been good, like.
0: Yeah, the, the, I don't know. there's there's a few. I have a few comments here from. McFarland and they they're odd like the and there's a pattern to them the fact that they're odd so I think for Ulster they played a great back-to-back uh in the in the year when the Heineken Cup was two legs for the second round round of 16 mm. round of 16 I think yep. it was um they were drawn with Toulouse and they beat Toulouse in France uh, they lost them in Ravenhill, but they lost by a point in on aggregate, right? So they lost, which is not what you want. But that was April twenty two, is my memory of that one. And then around in in January twenty twenty two, Dwayne, sorry, uh, not Dwayne Peel, Jared Dane. Payne, just just left, like sort of mid season. Um. And no one was really sure. So Dwayne Peel had left at um, that twenty-one to twenty-two off, off season He'd mm-hmm. gone off to Coastal Nethy. I mm-hmm. think was the was his was his destination. At that stage, he was attack coach. Uh, Jared Payne didn't get the attack coach job. Instead, he went to Dan Soper, who took all. Who went from skills to attack. And Dan Soper had been very successful in domestic rugby in Ulster. Uh, before being brought in as skills coach and then graduated to a TAC coach. So th- there's a good sort of story there um, for what you do at Indigenous coaches. Um, you know, th- that sort of pathway isn't really there. So it was nice to see him get an opportunity. But that, that was the timeline in January 2022. But like an odd time to leave. Mm. You know, middle of the season. April 22... Did he take a job in New Zealand? Like he didn't have it. He didn't, at that stage... It just said at the time when he was leaving, it just said pursues overseas opportunities. So I, I didn't look up to see what he's doing now. Um but he like he did he didn't have anything lined up. Like and and even if he had like is January preseason. It's a little bit late for preseason season in, in the southern hemisphere. You could you could probably get a job. Like you're talking about a lock stock and barrel relocation to the other end of the world, which admittedly is where he's from. Mm. But it was it was just strange. So then obviously the Toulouse match I sort of see as, as the watershed that really uh, overseas in France. Claremont. So he went to Claremont. Yeah.
2: Mid season. Yeah.
0: John Gibbs or Raj? No,
2: Roger was never there. John, o, John o Gibbs. John o Gibbs was in La Rochelle.
0: John O'Gibs in Claremont first, then La Rochelle. But couldn't take the Ulster job because he didn't want to leave Claremont or he's agreed to leave Claremont and ended up in La Rochelle. Tra- he, I can't quite remember the thing. Anyway, in, in October 2022, there's uh, I have another quote here where McFarland was asked to... Ulster had lost to Leinster... He was asked about the South African trip. He says, don't poke the bear. No, I'm not frustrated. I'm glad they're getting the opportunity in South Africa to put their names forward for the World Cup. But it's kind of said in that sardonic style where you go, he doesn't sound like he's that glad at all. Was this the
2: the the emerging emerging Ireland
0: Ireland tour to South Africa? And then in December 22, Ulster lost to Munster and we were terrible, was MacFarlane's first answer. I don't want to take anything away from Munster. That was a game where we decided our own fate. We had the ball 11 times, there are 22 and lost it 10 times. And then it's a big issue. I'm very concerned. It's soft. I told them last week we have to toughen up there. On this occasion, it is an element of all that we mentioned this week. But the game is lost when we don't take those chances. And then, so Ul- Ulster had this big nadir and emotional release. And um, in the 22 23 season, Got their season back on track, finished well, had home matches, and then got knocked out at home in a knockout match against Connacht. Connacht, yeah. And then this year had a really significant wobble, had a big emotional release, and then won three very significant matches back to back. Like beat Leinster in the RDS. Incredible win. Incredible result. Deserved win. Um brought in like Billy Burns' kicking game, like the pretty the best aspect of his attack. Uh, beat Rassing in, in Ravenhill beat, Mu- beat was a Munster beat monster. no sorry I mean, beat Connick first beat Connick first and then won those other two matches but then just got absolutely smoked by Toulouse and by and by Harlequins as we weirdest cousin and it, it it seems that like relying on emotional responses is, is it's only going to get you so far like you might get two or three matches out of it it might be very significant but you often see this sort of Comment given by all teams, oh, like you know, if you're not moving forward, you're just going to fall behind because everybody else is moving forward, and you just go, oh Jesus, they like, pull, like, come on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> come up with something more original than that. But I look at Ulster and I go, they seem to be the embodiment of a team that isn't doing anything new, and that has got left behind. Well,
2: I think they're going backwards, than But, I, I, but that's the thing. I, mm. I think
0: they're going backwards. Like, I don't, I don't think that they've sort of plateaued off at that twenty twenty two level. Um, so like there's, there's a few things we were chatting about Ulster and two players in particular in Ulster Aaron Sexton and Cormac is a Chukwu just gone like they've essentially been buried up in Ulster is a Chukwu had a bad injury that ruled him out for a long time but he's not playing very much and you go there's a guy who played on sevens who's played second row at a, at a pro level but he's built like a prototype number six, and the fact that he's played international sevens would suggest that he has the fitness and the mobility to be able to play there. Now, talking about at what level has he played second row, he was chosen in that emerging Ireland squad as a second row alongside Brian Deaney, Joe McCarthy, and Thomas Ahern. So Joe McCarthy uh, was being mentioned in the same breath... Asibin Etzebeth by Austin Healy at the weekend, right? So not not talking up an Irish guy, just not an Irish commentator talking up a young Irish guy. Uh, he was in the Irish World Cup training squad, in the squad, and then Tom O'Hearn was mentioned as sorry, well not mentioned. He was selected in the selected to train with the squad, although not named in that thirty four, right? And you look at those two guys, and you look at his a who, they're all on the same tour, on the Emerging Ireland tour, and there's a massive disparity. But is it, is it Chuck who, to my mind, is like a number six given the characteristics that we mentioned earlier and given the way that you see like Ryan Baird and Tom Ahern have played a lot of six this season for Leinster and, our, uh, Leinster and Munster. And then Aaron Sexton is, like if you were to go, could you sign one other Irish player that you actually think you'd get, like not Tyke Byrne, um, you go Aaron Sexton. Love to see him play for Leinster because, like, he's just an incredible athlete. And you go, like, like, what's the downside here? You just have a winger, like, who kind of doesn't quite get there. But you go, he's still going to score tries for you, just because he's so quick. And maybe at the end of the season, it just hasn't kind of worked out. But you go, like, there would be a plan for him in Leinster. Like, he would get opportunities to play. And winger score their tries young. And you go, like, he's, he's not really... Being given that opportunity for Ulster, but he hasn't been given that opportunity for anybody, and it's really frustrating to it's it's really frustrating to watch.
2: I agree; it's very frustrating. Just so few minutes uh, up there, and then you know, gets offered a contract and signs a contract, and the season after, like the half season after, he's played in one game. And he's playing for Hinch and scoring tries. I think he scored a try and set one up last weekend. Scored two tries the previous weekend. Like, he's, he's a tall, strong, great athlete. He's
0: uh, 6'4. Yeah. And like you see, Louis Riesanamis is going over to the NFL to try his, his luck out with that. Like, speed is just such a differentiator. If you've got absolutely top end speed, And like, you look at Robert Balakun, who does have top end speed, who is playing, but like his try scoring rate has absolutely fallen off the side of a cliff. And again, you're going like, is he, he's, he's got worse. So one of the things that you look at with coaches is like, has the player improved? Has the, like, has the player got better being with that team? And speaking about wingers, you'd have to go, well, James Lowe has got better since he's been in Ireland training with Leinster.
1: And then got better again when he got kicked out of the Irish squad. Yeah,
0: and got better again after, like, losing with the Irish squad. And to the extent where you go, is he, is he Leinster's most important back? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, like, when he doesn't play well in terms of his kicking game, it can be the losing of a game for Leinster. Look at the Heineken Cup final. He just couldn't get his clearances right. And, like, James Lowe's kicking game is a big part of Leinster's game. It's And it's, it's usually so reliable because it's, it it just buys you so much territory and time, and gives you an opportunity to to turn like defending in your own half into a sort of a press in their half. So anyway, like y- you can you can see the difference that coaching and like a focus on particular areas c- can make in a player. And it's not like you know he couldn't kick before he came over, but like they really concentrate on using that kicking game. So and Gibson Park that, uh, Gibson yeah. Park
2: couldn't kick when he arrived. His first. Couple of seasons with Leinster, he didn't like his kicking game was tragic, and now it's it's a real strength of his game. He's become a very well rounded scrum half, but certainly the kicking is the thing that has most improved. So, your coaching, how you can produce, how you can produce improvements in players, is a major element of it. And then on a sort of strategic level, it's like what plan do you have for every player in your squad? Something we've talked about a number of times before. The player himself may not agree with everything. If you're saying, my plan is, this is what I'm going to do for you and how I'm going to use you over the course of the season. You don't necessarily have to spell it out exactly to the player, but you have to have a plan for everyone. That's why you're paying them. You're not paying lads just because you've got extra money left over. You know, this isn't, what's oh, coming up to December. <laughs> better fucking pay somebody else to stand around this hole in the road. You have to have a plan for people, and the plan should make sense to all your, you know, assistant coaches, to your CEO who's putting the money out there because you can. Well, I can just pay another rugby development officer with or three rugby development officers with this salary. So to have a plan for every player in your squad and in your academy and what you expect to see from them. And MacFarlane had this issue at the at last season where he had a chunk of players who he didn't play. He laid a lot of them off coming into this season. Some of them were coming to the end of their contracts, some of them he did lay off. But he's he's now in a situation where he's got players who he brought into the squad initially in the really the first year that you took over, which was 18-19. Uh, he had a big job of work to do then. He brought in a lot of these players and... As you said before, the spring to summer of 2022 looks to have been their zenith. You know, you had the very good games against Toulouse. You had them beaten very narrowly by the Stormers away in uh, the last kick of the game in the semi-final in the URC. He re-signed for three years immediately post that season in June or July. And since then, the last season and a half has seen... Ulster turn into appalling. Ulster, Ulster, Ulster sorry, Ulster turn into appalling uh, European campaigns. Um, this season and last season as well, to a degree, players who had been in contention for Ireland in the Six Nations squads, like guys who played Hume and Lowry, and then guys who were there thereabouts, and then played in in November, Timoney and Balakum, just going backwards falling out of those not making training squads, not making the Rugby World Cup squad. Now, Timoney's back in. He's been Ulster's best player by his street this season. Um, But you have guys who have fallen out of the reckoning because of their own bad play and because it's very difficult. I told you I'd get this in. To fire a cannon off a canoe. If you're going, if you're trying to get into an Irish team from a team that's playing, or any national team, from a team playing really bad rugby, you have to be pragmatic and absorb the lessons of 125 years of international rugby. Team, players playing for winning teams will get selected ahead of you because they're helping their team to win. You know, and the question is always going to be, how good is this guy playing in a losing team or a team that loses a lot? Is he just better than the bad, the players playing badly and helping their team lose around him? I like, get the issue, I think, the biggest issue uh, that I can see with McFarland is the team that he brought in, the team that he built from 2018-19 onwards should be at its peak with Henderson, Herring, Kitshoff, McCluskey, all in their early 30s. That's the, they're all international players. A lot, you know, Kitshoff and, and Henderson, especially, incredibly well-established players. They've got a half partnership who've been in, in you know, between the shafts for six years together, they've got a three-quarter line who are in absolute athletic prime, sort of that twenty-five through to twenty-eight age group. Then they've got two tight heads who've won a six nations: Marty Moore in fourteen and fifteen, and and Tom O'Toole last year. And this is that has that's almost like a whole team worth of players in good age categories in important positions. So how are they being so easy to blow off the park in games where they should be focused and very competitive?
1: Well, (coughs) I was scrolling back through uh, the replies on our Twitter account because there was one, and it's only two weeks ago, and uh, I think it was after uh, I said, oh, we're doing a podcast on what such and such date. And someone said, how long is the section on Ulster, our back baby, going to be after they'd beaten, beaten Leinster and had the two successful pros in a row. And like beating Leinster in the RDS is, uh, beating Leinster, you know, when Leinster are at home is very difficult to do, but there's one key element that keeps on cropping up. I won't mention it this time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... It's not that long ago that we were like, oh, well, most, or Ulster have have gotten the show back on the road. As you said just there, they seem to be a team capable of uh, spurts of life and then just draining away. I wonder, this is a sort of a... In a different direction. You mentioned to me before we were watching... I'd say it was a pro-14 game, pro-14 era game in the league against Edinburgh at home. I think Richard Cockrell had just taken them over as coach. And you mentioned to me that Cockrell was the kind of coach who would clean the stables, essentially, come in and make you annoying to play against, make you hit your tackles, be much better at defence. But he didn't necessarily... You didn't, You couldn't see him sort of like turning Edinburgh into the dominant team in Scotland, say, for example. And I wonder maybe is as McFarland sort of um, doing his job take, you know, sort of with Ulster where he went in and turned them around from what I was, you know, everyone knows the, i quote, they were a basket case. Yeah. Cause I'd forgotten it. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He had turned them around for me in a basket case, got, the, got the show on the road and, um, like, they're better now than they were at the basket case stage.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, absolutely. You know,
1: they, it's like they've gone, it's it's three steps forward and a step back now, I think. Uh, step and a half back. Yeah. So two four steps forward, two steps back. That's okay. Let's use round <laughs> numbers. It's two diverse. steps forward, one step back. <laughs> Six steps <L-C-M>. forward. <laughs> um, so is, is what I'm saying is that like this is Dan McFerl's first uh solo coaching job of a senior pro team uh he's been assistant and various different roles at other places um yeah, yeah like has he just like run up against the limits what's he gonna be able to do with this team that's I, what it looks like that's what it looks like i'm not
2: like birch birch uh, i think it was on the 42 and he's saying it's it's not all dan mcfarland and, and I agree, but at the same time, like he's now been in that job for six years. Nobody's calling for his head after you know six months of bad results. it's it's I'm not calling for his head anyway. I don't want to, to be beheaded. But just pragmatically looking at it, he's been in that role for for five and a half, six years now, and now the team is actively going backwards, and it's it's not a blip in that they're european like the european games if you're an irish team are the biggest games of the calendar until you get to knockouts so you have to perform in the big games that's really still how you're rated although the urc has become a much more important factor than than the league used to be so when you get blown out in three of your like absolutely blown out their average losing margin in in their third three losses out of four games was it was 25 points. Now they're getting hammered in games. Um and it's not the first season that, that this has happened. They lost them one 39 nil last year. I think they were I think they might have been 36 nil down against La Rochelle at one stage before they came back and essentially scored four they essentially scored. They did score tries but the game was game was done after half an hour. Um so I think he has he has run up uh, to the limits of where he's going to go with this team, which leaves which leaves Ulster in a difficult position because I think Dan McFarland can be um, just by his his personality is a bright guy, and I think he can be like in a way that Andy Farrell just isn't. I think McFarland can be too negative about things and not in a helpful way. too sarcastic and that comes across sometimes even when he's on television which is like the key place not like sarcasm does not translate as a coach and I'd imagine that comes out in training sessions when he's disappointed or angry and I think that the players are maybe not intentionally well probably not intentionally going out to play shit but they're not listening to him anymore And thus he could be giving them absolute gold and they're playing like it's chicken feet. So that is a case of, you know, non, there's there's a phrase I remember reading, I can't remember, no-fault divorce. You know, it's just come, like to me, uh, not in terms of the program overall, P-R-O-G or A-M-M-E program, it hasn't come to an end there, but it essentially has come to an end.
0: relationship yeah like there's a whole mick dawson was was the chief exec at leinster for pretty much all of professional rugby and he retired at the end of last season the season four
2: last season last
0: season um and he was very much garlanded by praise and he'd been there for ages and he went from a situation where they they couldn't get the signing of Felipe Contoponi. They didn't register Felipe Contoponi for for, uh, for European matches. So he ended up not being able to play in them. Like he was playing for Carlo. You know, like they registered him for Carlo because he had to be registered for a club. And, you know, they were training in porta cabins and he left them in a situation where they were one of the top teams in Europe. Um, consistently. They had a great training venue in UCD. Um, they'd won like four Heineken Cups during his time. They'd won the league multiple times. They were a the bulk contributor to the Irish squad. And like, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of contributory factors, but the fact was he was able to harness it and pretty much to find the role. And then Shane Nolan took over and, like, has it really affected Leinster? But you're there going, not really sure what Shane Nolan does. Um, He certainly isn't as visible as as what Mick used to do. And I I just bring it up because, like, the CEO role matters. But it's very difficult to say exactly how it matters, except that, like, you sort of know it's good when you see it done well. And you sort of have to question it's, it's done badly when when it's just listless and a bit shambolic and like with Ulster you're sort of looking at like Richie left Shane Richie, who'd been former Coca-Cola guy John Petrie took over and just between Petrie and McFarland like I said like there's just been that bit of listlessness for the last like year season really since Jared like since Jared Payne left it's it's kind of... Two calendar years, basically. Two calendar years, pretty much to the month um, that it it went up. Now, like I said, I, I, a season and a half, really, from losing to Toulouse by a point in aggregate, losing to the Stormers by a point in June, right? So say say year and a half, calendar year. But it... Y- you do sort of go back to Jared Payne leaving after Dwayne Peel leaving and just go, nah, it's definitely gone downhill since that. And... It's, yeah, that no-fault divorce. But then you're sort of going, like, that seems like a lot that you have to change. You have to change the two guys at the top um, both, what, like, at the same time? Like, which which, which one is responsible? Like, which... If, yeah. if, if they go and you replace them, like, is it is it going to get better? If, if Petri stays and, and McFarland, like, is gone... Like, who's Petri choose to get in? Like, what's he gonna like? How much is that gonna cost? Ulster lost, um, Ulster had a bad financial year, they lost like 937,000. And a lot of that, according year. to
2: Fanning in, uh, in the Indo, especially, was down to poor decision, you know, over the course of a week and a half by John Petrie.
0: Is this with the with the, the frozen Clermont? pitch, yeah, I love the Clermont uh, La Rochelle, uh, La Rochelle match and the frozen pitch, yeah.
2: Not yeah. moving quickly enough, not getting organized quickly enough, and then deciding that it was I'm gonna blame EPCR. And EPCR came out and goes, This is absolutely your problem. And then he had to climb down and they lost a lot of money on it. Now they've put in a, an artificial pitch in Ravenhill, probably the right thing to do. Um so in, in that case, like there's <clears throat> that's a like I think he's done a reasonable job since he came in and had, or sorry, Richie who had the fella had run out of road by the time he was leaving uh, he'd absolutely come you know he'd got to the end of his uh, sort of credibility in the role but it's they're in a really tough spot they're in a really like they, that team has a really good stadium really good support base really good identity uh, they've got great training facilities they have the chip on their shoulder which can help you perform as a team they're really coherent in that a lot of their players are have been around for four or five years. They should be an incredibly difficult team to beat um, because there's very few rookies in the team.
0: And I think that's the frustrating thing about it is that it looks to be an emotional issue. So we're sort of, going, you know, earlier on saying that you can't just go to the emotional well all the time, but then you say you shouldn't have to because... If you if you go through the checklist as you as you did there and and you look at the facts you go like this isn't a shambles of an organization it's just one that like is just just it's 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 just plateaued off like it's they're not they're not making a complete and utter mess of things but they're just not getting any better at all. Are oh, they getting worse, though. It must be frustrating for them. But they're not getting worse. I mean, they've had the same crap results for, like, over a year. Like, th- this yeah. is the thing. I mean, it's, like, they were crap against Sale. Um, they're not losing by 50 points now. But they're still losing by way too many points, particularly at home. Yeah. Particularly against Harlequins. Like, against, you know, not... Like, we're not talking about losing to La Rochelle away here.
2: No, that's true. Which And they actually performed well in that game when yeah. they had their their backs to the wall. I think that was 7-3 in the end. Mm. So they're playing against, like last year with Sale, who are an equally resourced team, you would imagine. Like when you're playing against a premiership team, you are not, it's not like, oh, they outgunned us, it's to lose. They spend 32 million a season. It's like the premiership teams aren't outspending the Irish provinces. So you're going head to head against teams essentially on a level playing field. And maybe you could even say that the field is if anything, like it might be 55, 45 in your favor. So to get blown out of it by Harlequins and by uh sale, get demolished by them is that's that's nothing to do with resources. And that makes it really, really frustrating. And it also shows you in a very bad light as a as a team. I like, and also I have to say like some of the individual performances were saying everything. Because fundamentally there is an argument that the coach is responsible for everything that players do on the pitch. You can make that argument. On the other hand, everyone knows that players are doing things on the pitch themselves. The coach can't go out, catch a ball, make a tackle, look in the right place. Dan McFarland would have been telling them like, look, look at the ball. Make sure the ball is dead if it's off the pitch. They didn't they shouldn't need to be told that. So this these brain farts. These like, players looking at the looking at the ground. Even Kitsov did it for uh, I think it was the third try Harlequins scored. Like somebody broke inside him, he was standing one out from rock, and he threw his hands up as though like somebody else make that tackle, and he going, "That's your man, buddy. This is a double World Cup right and a guy with a great attitude. Like Kitsov is a great competitor. Going, what the what's going wrong here? Why is everyone like just?" Waving their arms up in the air all the time, you
0: know, the whole team seems to be doing that, yeah. And you look, you look at Connick, like Connick beat Bristol and beat them well at the weekend. And Connick, like, have Bundy a key, but like Finley Beelam, he he came from Australia, like, he, he and he wasn't faded, like, he wasn't oh, we got this enormous signing. Like, Stephen Kitsoff has two World Cup winners' medals, he was. He was a South African under 20 when they won the World Cup. He was like, he's been like this guy's pedigree. He's blue. Like, Finney Beelam just arrived up from Australia, having played for like, the Canberra Vikings. Um, Matt Hansen was, a, was an Aussie under 20 international, but like, he was just one of many guys who have pitched up into Ireland over the last two decades of professionalism, where he's got Irish connections, but you know, he's just another name. Like, of. Of, of of wingers arriving into Connacht, Santiago Cordero had better miles, better name recognition. Now he's been unlucky in that he's been injured, but like Mac Hansen is the like man of the match awards. Mack Hansen win at international level. He's an absolute superstar. And when you sort of compare Connacht and Ulster, it it it, it reflects unfavorably on Ulster's like playing performance. And I think that's the thing, you know, so it was sort of made the point of talking about Petri and about McFarland But as you're saying, like the players have to take a certain degree of responsibility for, I don't know, like their attitudes, their approach, their behavior, even watching Connect, Like I, I did rewatch it a few times and pause that at different stages. He was Andrew Smith's foot in touch or not. And I was there going, I'm pretty sure on in both instances watching it. I can see like about a centimeter of green in between his boot and the yeah, whitewash, the and they're yeah. gone. I don't think he was in. In which case, like that would have been an absolutely magnificent try. But then you're sort of going, like, does it matter? Like, it would have been really, really cool if he scored. It would, it, you know, he'd have he'd get an award for scoring. He'd be in like try of the season. But the fact that he can, he can do it, is really encouraging. And like you, the thing when you're watching it on the second rewatch is you see his acceleration and how much he gets away from the defense in the first few strides. And you go, wow, like that's exciting. There's a guy who you want to see him get the ball for the rest of the season because he looks really sharp and you're going "That that's a guy who's, who's improved. Like this is a sevens guy who was in the Leinster Academy. He got very few opportunities at Leinster, whether, you know, like, they were warranted or not, and Leinster is a tough place to get matches. But going to Connacht has been good for his game, and there, there aren't like Irish winger is. There's opportunities to play in the wing in Ireland because Farrell likes it to play certain way certain ways. But like there aren't a huge amount of quick guys playing in Ireland. There aren't a huge amount of guys who just score shit loads of tries playing in the Irish situation. So like if Andrew Smith can have, is he going to make the tour to South Africa? I doubt it. But I mean. If he finishes really well, he is definitely on the list for the next emerging market or emerging uh, emerging Ireland, markets. Emerging markets. He emerging went on Ireland. the last tour. He went on the last tour. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's, he, he's on the list to start more matches if he goes this time. He was a really
2: good player at under twenties, and when he he only played a couple of games for Leinster, and he, and then he played a game against played a game against Chile in Donnybrook. Yeah. I was at he had, like, one of the all-time howlers. And at that stage, I felt he was like, this is a fella who hadn't got an awful lot of opportunities and nerves. He overthought it. And the the nerves, he, the situation became way too big for him. And he had a real stinker. Once he got his confidence back, which people in uh, Wilkins and Connors have been able to give him, he looks great again. He looks great. He's a great finisher. And he's a player who has improved. Clearly.
0: Yeah, and he's improving. And then you you look at Ulster and you look who's not playing. And again, you're going like Jude Postletwight. I saw him playing twenties and I was thinking to myself, like, this guy is gonna be challenging international honors within two years. He is class looking and he's played like a game, half yeah. half a game for Ulster. Play and you're sort of H. going like that's that's for him to make the press. And very possibly I overrated him based on twenties and twenties is in senior rugby. But nonetheless, he's he's a guy that you go you'd be really excited to see him play and he just hasn't made that progress. And it's that same idea about players not improving, like good coaching gives guys the opportunity to improve.
2: It's something that we talked about, uh, I think off camera, at the... uh, Off camera. Off mic. Off mic, after our podcast last week was the fact that, and we had different opinions at, at the time. I was quite skeptical of the value of the emerging Ireland tour. And in hindsight, and given how different players, a number of different players have panned out, I have to admit that I quite badly misjudged. It. You're always very positive about it. It's it was a really good tour to get to shake up uh, provincial pecking orders, to expose players to different coaching, and some players are just expl- like including um, Joe McCarthy jack crowley have just exploded like those those lads are likely starters for the six nations so you know yeah i mean 16 months after they went on an emerging tour as nobody's
1: basically yeah i i i was i had pitched this to you both and said this this tour was a massive success i was looking through the names that went on it and like he might not start, but I think Calvin Nash is in pole position to start and right wing for Ireland. Agreed, yeah, yeah. I agree. Jack Crowley and Kieran Frawley are two of the out halves went in this tour. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be ten and twenty two, I think, on the, in this in this selection. Um, and then uh, Ahern would have been in the in the would have been in the tr- the training squad, and by you know everyone's account was sort of unlucky to not get a call for the main squad. Joe McCarthy. Certainly will be in the twenty three, might be in the starting and starting fifteen, and has been phenomenal for Leinster. You have Keane Prendergast, John hardness who Everton also was like
2: unlucky to uh, miss out yeah, on the yeah, squad. Yeah. yeah, widely
1: accepted that like he's been playing really well. Was you know man of the match in the league final last year. So like, and that's just the one. That's just that's a smattering of the ones who are like right around the Ireland squad. So. But say what was the other thing you were saying to me this morning? Oh well the <laughs> Balakoon, McElroy, Stuart Moore, Jake Flannery, Jake Flannery sort of only just that Ulster. So uh, none of the scrum are Ulster.
2: Dokus, Dokus Ulster, is it? Docus.
1: yeah. Dokus, sorry, yeah. Um uh, Cormac is a choku there. There's no one in the back row.
0: Tom Stewart's there as a hooker.
1: Um but just to yeah, like Robert Balcon being the standard bearer for players who have not kicked on. Yeah,
2: uh, but your your point was essentially that none of the Ulster players have made progress. Most of them have regressed, and it's um, ah, it's really disappointing. You know, it is disappointing. I think like I always look out for Ulster, and um, you know, and they've they. Like two seasons ago, they looked like they were in great position, uh, to become um, to become really a really strong outfit for quite a good few years. You know, sort of three, four years in a row that they'd be really strong. That they had enough good players, they had a good age profile, and they've just wasted a year and a half of those. And really, you know, this this season they might they. Like there's always a potential now, because we've seen it happen with Munster, that you can, you know, once you finish in the top half of the league, like you're in the running. Like that's the the way that the league is structured, is that like all you have to do is not be shit and you'll get into the knockouts. Like that's all it's required. It doesn't like getting finishing eight is fucking like it's not hard. So once you can get into the knockouts, yeah, you like Munster showed that you can you can win the league. But um, I think, I think that this season, because of how bad the European performances have been, I think that this season is is a dud for Ulster.
0: The cloud didn't like that. Someone needs to stop him. There's no rugby on this weekend.
1: But more importantly, we're not playing a crap Italian team today after <laughs> a Six Nations game where Ian Madigan would score four tries. Under Joe Schmidt, those are the golden days of the, of the Pro yeah,
0: 12. Used to love those games.
1: <laughs> a crowd of eight thousand there <laughs> in sideways rain.
0: The Leinster team that played at the weekend against Leicester was very strong, and I thought it played very well. I, I was I was very impressed with that Leinster performance. Um, and it, you know, it, it it did taper off for a while before finishing very strongly. But I kind of going, Jesus, like there's. it used to be that during the Six Nations, you pretty much watch a completely different Leinster team than played in Europe um, play top-end rugby while most of the rest of the team were off playing for Ireland or involved in the Ireland squad. Whereas now uh, there's just fewer opportunities for that. So you're sort of going like, when... When are a load of guys going to get to play? In particular, I'd like to see Tommy O'Brien play at second center, um, which I think is his best position. Um, I, but I'd like to see James Cohan play at eight. I'd like to see Scott Penny play at seven. I'd like to see Will Connors play at seven. Um, I'd like to see Michael Milne playing again. And, yeah, like, ah, screw it. There's just fewer opportunities. So you sort of go, um, that's it. I don't know. It's a pity for me, <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> I, 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 but I, I think they have to find more matches because you sort of go. It's, it's a bit of a pity for the squad, and I think oh, they God. have. They have played. They have found two matches. Like they've they've got two friendlies. Friendlies, really. And you go and there's. It's good that they have the matches, um, but like friendlies are friendlies, and you know, like if if you win a league match, it's it's massive. Like Will Connors played a match against Glasgow. Um, pretty sure it was it was during an international winter. I can't remember if it was in November. November. And he he just tackled them off the park, and you're there going like that guy is an inter- international class. He also 7. threw
2: a massive skip as well. And we, we ended up scoring a try. I think it was 2019.
0: Yeah. Blazing performance for him. So like there's there's a few matches. I'd like to see Sam Prendergast play more in, in league matches. Again, like I, I thought Prendergast was um probably struggling to find his feet a bit more at the weekend than he had done previously. But you get like he needs his brother to teach him how to love tackling. They're, yeah, he doesn't love tackling. They're good up no he doesn't love tackling, no. But like they're they're good up like it's a real match. Like when you're playing Leicester away in in Welford Road in a in a European match, like it's it's a proper standard, you know? Like even even if you're winning, like you're and you're not gonna lose the match, it's it's a different challenge than what you face. So while the friendlies are good, the fact that there's a run out, they don't have the same seriousness that a league match has. And like, look, Leinster oftentimes would finish so far ahead in the table that they were going to get a home semi or home knockout matches anyway. And they were playing against teams that are also weakened during their international duty. And Leinster seconds are much better than Treviso seconds. Um, but all that being said, like, League match is a league match, so it's ah, There's it's a only bit of a miss really.
2: There's only two. Like, there's a one game in on the seventeenth of uh, February, and then there's another month off before the next league match. Like there's only there's only one game in Feb, one game in March. Uh, competitive games, so it's well, it's a real, it's a curiosity of the season. Like the Six Nations has primacy, obviously, and uh the urc one of the big differences between that and any iteration of the leagues that came before it was like we're not going to field weakened teams and as a result the the number of regular season games has dropped from a high of a high of 22 to 18 which is a significant i'm not, not good at maths but a significant percentage drop in the amount of available game time for any player um and then, but the second thing is how can the season be organized that there is to to give fellows fellows guys on <laughs> <laughs> chaps <laughs> <laughs> on the fringes of the squad, so that you're not creating ad hoc fixtures. So is there the viability to to organize for? you know, a five year period that this is a there's a an interprovincial tournament or that Leinster tour uh, play against Spain and Portugal. Let's go this is what happens here. Cause I, I they, one of one of something which I consistently return to is the fact that the URC needs a, a minor league in order that you can get players more game time and also that fans get more value. For their season tickets, or they can see their teams more often. Like the the nature of rugby is that it's a very collision heavy game. They can't play, they just can't play loads and loads of games. But you do carry like all the Irish squads are around forty four to forty six strong, so two full match day twenty threes. Then you have your academies. So I just love the idea of like um I love the idea of a minor league or a set series of this is the tournament that Ray will play against Ray, Ulster, etc then there's going to be this set of fixtures against these teams will will accept touring matches then we'll have a tour and this that season is like this is how it's going to be for 5 years so that I'll have more matches to go to in
0: Donnybrook and put them on it <laughs> put exactly. them on at a good time exactly that that's what Donnybrook is for and yeah. like I think we managed to stumble into something which is absolutely fascinating at the end of the show having a about Ulster <laughs> for like <laughs> 20 minutes too long but I've been in a few conversations with people who are very similar, but also like have completely independent views. And one of the things that comes out is, oh, there's no atmosphere at Leinster matches. Oh, I'm not going to go in. You know, like people don't realize. And it's usually going, the club game is much better. And I'm there going, well, like, look, I go to club matches as well, but they're not the same thing, right? Mm. And kind of, there, there's a sort of a... a puritan puritanical bona fides expressing that like i'm a real rugby guy because i go to the club matches and you're there going oh you can't question that if you go to the club and you're there going but like the club game isn't pro like leinster sell forty thousand tickets to people to go that that on its own is an incredible success the fact that like you don't feel that you're entertained by your fellow supporters like (laughs) what do you want? Just be a rugby snob about it then and and express your bona fides. And, but at the same stage, there is a point to it and you're there going, if there was like a second Leinster team environment in basically ch- like a, a cheaper, but like you got it as part of your season ticket, yeah. as you said, it's it's and like the only people that are going there want to be there. Like, you know, they're not sort of going, oh, I feel like I want to bring my kid because it's a big match and it's a day out, but like it's a fiver for a bag of Maltesers, like, you know, like it's seven quid something for like a cup of tea and a pack of crisps. Like it's, you know, it's really hard to get parking around the Aviva because everyone has the same idea of parking in the same places. <laughs> parking in Volvo XC70s and, in the same place. You know, it's, it's that if you, I just want to go to Donnybrook, which is, is basically going to be free, you know, because I've already paid for the season ticket or, I can just rock up and pay a tenner and go in and just buy my Maltesers and Spar and bring them in because, like, you know, screw, screw it, everybody is doing it. I can just leave Donnybrook, walk down to Spar, buy my Maltesers, come back. Um, I go to it. I get another six matches. And yeah. They, they'd be, I don't know, is the atmosphere going to be any better? Like, there might be more shouting. There's not going to be organized chance, but it's, it's, it's an opportunity for Leinster to basically build a brand and get guys matches. And, like, the idea of playing like the Spanish and the Portuguese teams is, is an absolute winner because you're going, it's not, what is it? Like, I suppose it is a friendly, but it's more like a touring match.
2: Yeah. And it's a tour. Uh, like, that would be how I would see it. You go, this is when this is when they tour, and that's when you're sort of second string of coaches and, and whoever else is available go, yeah, I'm going on this tour and coach them. They get an, an upside to it. Also, some people are going... She's, I'd love to go to Portugal in fucking February or yeah, or November.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'd love to go away for the winter time uh, for like a week and and or two weeks or whatever. Like, you know, I have a place down there. I mean, they get access to a place down there, I watch a match. But also that like it's on your season ticket. There's no incremental cost for you to do that. And you might just get guys coming in. And not everybody likes going to club matches. Right, because like the AAL isn't getting those forty thousand people going to various matches in Dublin. Like the, the club game is a lot for like the club people, club for the players. Cl- this, this is like this is a thing that Leinster is. Like it, it's the most obvious thing that's out there. But like Leinster Rugby has made rugby in Leinster massively popular beyond like a core group of school and club games, and it's kind of like club people, of which I am one, tend to bridle at it. And like, oh well, I'm I'm more rugby because you know I get frustrated at Leinster matches, and I go down to the club, which is pure. And just God. <laughs> they don't I have f- names
1: on the back of their jerseys in the club. Yeah, <laughs> and, you're ju-
0: and you're like, ah, fuck off. I mean, like I'm one of those as well, but like it's it's not the same market. Like Le- Leinster rugby, Mick Dawson's Leinster machine has has grown that brand to be something completely different, and there's an opportunity for Leinster to. Essentially, tap into its own niche of non-club Leinster fans, and give them an opportunity to watch stuff like at a reasonably cost. Get their players' matches in Donnybrook, which is like a big enough ground to hold a big enough crowd. And
2: it's close to the RDS as well. The, so well, people, like it's, no, it's, but you don't mean so the people who normally the, go it's to close the, the RDS of Dublin. like people mean, who you, normally go to the RDS aren't going. Oh, now I have to go out to this. Stadium. It's miles away so, oh, I normally go to the RDS instead I'll just go to Donnybrook which is the same location
0: but like it's it's on a major arterial route in Dublin it's near the city centre of Dublin um, like it's right slap bang in the middle of Dublin 4 that's the point of Dublin 4 like it's it's pretty much in the middle of where a million people it's not really in the middle because it's near the sea but like it is a very accessible area to the most densely parted, populated part of the country right? Like, there's no arguing with that. So you can sort of say, oh, you know, we'll bring it around to different places. No, don't bother going around to different places. Not enough people live there. This is the point of cities. Bring it to somewhere where there's high enough density that you don't have to get a massive proportion of who lives there to make it a significant number. Because percentages don't go to matches. They don't spend. People go. People spend cash. People don't spend percentages of cash. They spend hard cash. Percentages don't go to matches people got to matches, So like that, that's the reason that it works. So it's, I wish they'd do it. Yeah,
2: because they put these, they put on games almost at like obnoxious times. Like they, you know, Leinster, Leinster Development will play the Irish under 20s and it'll be on a Thursday at two. And like during the recession, I was grand. I used to go to the, <laughs> taking a long lunch. I'd go down and watch like Leinster schools play Ulster schools. So you know, there was fuck all work to do. But I would rather just, they're going, Leinster Development are playing uh, the Irish under-20s before Christmas. Put it on at a time that people can go when, you know, put it on on a Friday evening so that you can, people will go to it. Like, I would, I would have gone to those games. Just, so you, and there's not enough, like, you can't have a minor league with people, you know, taking loads of flights. Like, there's no, there's no, you can't have a direct, like, We'll play Ospreys B, Durban Sharks B, whatever. That's not going to work. So you have to be inventive in terms of where your games are going to be, how they're spaced out over the year. then you need to enter the Curry Cup, it sounds like, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that's but what I'm saying is like, you have to assemble the fixture list piecemeal and then try and go, this is something that we want to do and have a five year plan for it and as you say put on the season like the season ticket hasn't gone up in price but like it's stringflation the amount of matches you get into has dropped dramatically uh so uh, and then there's the obvious benefits are giving giving lads game times and and essentially making sure that people can more people can go to games cheaply if they don't have the season ticket for 10 or a 5 or 15 quid whatever it is 10 or in and five or into the stand <laughs> as it was for the you know, British and Irish Cup. So, um, if Jewry, if you're listening, this this is a, this is an idea freebie.
1: i just turn this into a voice note for <laughs> <laughs> when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't. Oh